I think the next one Spotify will do is like, what's that one that you keep trying to invite me to that everyone goes on about where you listen to a rabble of people? Um, um, and <laughs> I've actually forgotten the name, <laughs> but we talked about it. Ah, you know, Twitter spaces, right? <laughs> Twitter made spaces to compete. What is it? This is going to yeah, break I think me. You mean Twitter spaces? <laughs> can't remember was there something that was copying or wasn't that just the original it's actually hard to remember isn't it clubhouse oh yeah that's it clubhouse started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said hey i like talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london I wanted to test these things with you because they're hilarious. Go so on. there's the Jobs Reset Summit, which I think is the second one they did one last year. They're doing another one this year. It happened on the 2nd of June, which was two days ago. And blah, 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 lots of random stuff. However, some fun things that came from it. There was some discussion around this Jobs of the Now report that has been produced by... Who produced this? Cognizant. So Cognizant produced a jobs as a now report and some there were some great jobs on here that I just wanted to test with you to see if you can guess what they are or what they mean. The top one of the top ten, the work from home facilitator. Go. So a work from home facilitator is kind of um no nothing. <laughs> okay. Wrong. Uh job number two, the fitness commitment counsellor. Yep. So you're not doing well at doing your exercises and dialing into Peloton and what have you. So you feel bad. The anxiety is hurting you. You need to talk to your fitness commitment counsellor. Correct. Although it also involves that counsellor looking at your digital wearables like your Apple Watch or your Fitbit dashboards and combining that with their counselling approach. Hmm. Fun. Let's skip that one because it's boring. How about this one? An XR immersion counsellor. Yeah, so for AR and, and VR, obviously your challenges are that you get quite into the world and when you come out of them, it's both withdrawal and then it's the shock of the banal. So you're in the quotidian <laughs> space. And the XR counsellor can help you with these problems and it is a job of the now. <laughs> that made less sense than reading what's on the page. Wonderful. Some of these are obvious. So workplace environment architect. I think we all know what that might mean. Algorithm bias auditor. Again, very helpful thing to identify bias in algorithms. This one, very topical at the moment. The cyber calamity forecaster. <laughs> Go. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it does what it says on the tin. Is the idea that Cognizant sort of second tier consultancy, I think I can say that, have come up with these jobs of the now because they, <laughs> because they, <laughs> because they were asked by the World Economic Forum to try to help us all to reconceptualize the way that work is with the new, 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 normal, new, normal, normal, the way that we are now. And going back to the new every day, because the people who attend the World Economic Forum in the capacity as the 80 leaders who, who show up aren't really familiar with what work looks like. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that might actually be more true than and it, for them when they read this, be. they're like, oh, yeah, I can imagine needing oh, a cyber dogs, disaster. We needed one of them earlier yeah. this year. <laughs> Someone shouts from the back row. Yeah, the, the most interesting one on here that I saw was Tidewater Architect, which is someone... I can tell you what that is. Yeah, that's because the rising sea levels, so you need to re-architect your whole city, but very specific buildings as well. But, but also working with nature to try and achieve that, which is quite cool. Anyway, that was fun. Uh, the rest of it's kind of boring. The only other notions that I found was that they refer to not just white collar work and blue collar work, but green collar work and pink collar work. Mm -hmm. Okay, green obviously environment, energy, renewables related. Mm -hmm. What is what is pink collar work? Pink collar work is like caregiving jobs. Okay, um, so very human jobs. I think with the focus being on the fact that things are going to be more remote, that post COVID world has disrupted things 
immeasurably that a K-shaped recovery means more inequality, but not necessarily changing of actual demographics in terms of ages. And then also the fact that automation and robotics slowly eroding a lot of things that normal people would think of as jobs. It shifts where the jobs actually will be, if any. So that's where this idea of green collar work and pink collar work being big expansion areas has come about. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it is a good time to think about the shape of society and reducing massive inequalities. The World Economic Forum isn't the credible place to do that conversation, to have that conversation. But we do need to rethink work. We also need to rethink returns to labour versus returns to capital. And we need to rethink, therefore, the massively unfair entire social, political, economic structure of the world. However, I don't think that's what's going to happen at the... I don't think that's what's really happening at the Jobs Reset Summit at the World Economic Forum. No, I think they'll do that next year. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, around Reset number three. <laughs> I think they, they, they do get touched upon. It gets mentioned. But whether there's any tangible change that can happen from that group of people just because of the sheer nature of the problem, it's kind of entangled with the roles of the people who actually attend it, it makes it hard to really address that. Well, so structural change sometimes involves redistribution. Redistribution sometimes involves progressive taxation. Today, which is Friday evening before the Saturday announcement, it looks like the G7 might be reaching an agreement on a minimum tax threshold for corporation tax and on having to pay it in the country where you made the money rather than in wherever the HQ is. And being able to take, say, at least 15% as business tax from, for example, large tech companies without them being able to just kind of tax optimize their way out of it in the country where that money was earned. Being able to do that might be a good thing because much as I don't like tax, that money will get, that tax money will be used to probably pay for bloated bureaucracies, but also some public goods. Yeah, but we all know that tax isn't actually used for that because that's not the way that money actually works now, which is what makes it really weird, actually. I don't want to go off on a weird tangent, but do you know a few years ago, Rutger Bremen, the historian, he became very famous and popular because he was at Davos and he was just going, taxes, taxes, taxes. We need to talk about taxes, taxes. And everyone kind of, everyone there admonished him. I remember and, the viral videos, yeah. And, and then but everyone else liked him. And I, I've listened to some of his books, uh, Utopia for Realists and Humankind, which are very much worth uh, reading or listening to. But it's funny because everyone talks about taxes as being a way of funding public operations, but really they are just there to reduce an overheating economy or redistribute wealth right that's the reality of it there it's not like you tax and then that money magically gets spent on public good stuff we know that because we didn't raise taxes and yet we've injected loads of money into the economy during covid and post covid and we're still not raising taxes immediately because of all the magic money that we need to pay back so yeah, the fact that fiat currency and and state-backed the fact that money is a fiction doesn't mean that the other statement isn't also true so you can also raise more funds through corporation tax more effectively deducted from global companies and then use those funds or as a result of raising those funds you can put in place public policy more safe social safety nets a slightly bigger state etc Mm. I suspect in years to come, it'll be seen that those things are not directly related. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's, it's mental accounting. But anyway. You have been, you've been reading a lot more audio books, it sounds like, including. Is that the right way of saying it? Reading more audio books. You've been reading more audio books. <laughs> just reading the. And based the blurb, on what you just said. The, essentially the show notes. It's like when people read our podcast. I only I do audio books. I don't do any now. of that. Have you got an audible? Like I only do audio books. It's actually so you, quite bad. You know when you buy Amazon Prime, you can also then... Audible doesn't come with it, does it? No. Okay, so how much extra is it for Audible in the UK? Mm, Seven ninety nine a month, but you get uh, a free credit every month, basically. Nothing is free. So, it mm. gives you a credit towards a book, which would otherwise mm. 
cost more than the monthly subscription. Yeah. And where are you listening to audiobooks? On Audible. No, like, you don't commute anymore. So, like, where do you actually listen to these books? Everywhere. When I'm unloading the dishwasher, when I'm doing the gardening, when I'm getting ready in the morning, hanging up clothes. Sometimes if it's a weekend and I'm free, I'll just chill out and just put my headphones on and listen to a book. So you're walking around the house wearing your big headphones and someone tries to talk to you, maybe Jen, and then you say, audio book. Yeah, yeah, but you can pause it. That's mm. the great thing. You can just pause it and be like, oh, I'm listening to an audio book. Jen, how can I help you? <laughs> she was like, oh, sorry, I didn't realise you were listening to a book. I'll ask you later. But okay, I'll put my headphones back on, first play. Mm, you know, it's you. Do you know how it works when you're reading a book? <laughs> it's the same, same principle. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But it's okay. it's funny, isn't it? Because like we've gone from physical books to e-books to audio books. Interestingly, that all of those are basically Amazon. <laughs> Amazon was like online bookseller. Then do the ebooks with Kindle, then buy Audible to give them. So it's all, all an Amazon ecosystem. But I, th- I feel like audiobooks should have been where we started. It's the classic storytelling mechanism of listening, someone reading to you. It's what you grew up as a child with. It's how we've had, you know, all traditions throughout history to pass on information. I think it's more natural, to be honest. I'm really liking audiobooks. Um, I think especially if AirPod Pros had existed at the beginning of the <laughs> printing uh, <press. laughs> Kindle phase of ebooks, you know, it would have been much more intuitive to mm-hmm. have audio audible audiobooks as your as your bedtime reading. You're right, they didn't have headphones in those days. They didn't have wireless buds that if you ended up going to sleep with them in your ear you know it wouldn't like lead to ear infections or or real discomfort during the night they didn't have those what what used to happen is you could either put your phone on low beside your bed and you'd kind of end up waking up four podcasts later to a really noisy (laughs) podcast or you could get sort of tangled up in your your headphone cords and in the middle of the night have to kind of extricate yourself from it so, so, so the limiting factor was cables, <laughs> essentially. I think it's just weird that I think we've got to just... the point of audiobooks and podcasts, and now that, I think, is the medium that we like to consume. We're evolved for it, more so than reading. It's strange for me with podcasts to think how much time is available. So if you make the media innocuous enough, there is there is sufficient time in the day that kind of it can expand to fill so for example if you said to me do you want to spend about i don't know about three hours a week listening to tech news through the accidental tech podcast uh, newsletter which you can sit down and read in an email format i would say no thank you i would not like to do that (laughs) whereas listening to the accidental tech podcast as a kind of audio wallpaper whilst other things are happening, is it's very pleasing, it's very relaxing, it's very enjoyable, and it's somehow mildly enriching. It's mm. it's like hanging out with some friends. It um, only works when it's real people, I found. Because The Economist have started doing their entire weekly issues in audio format. So you can, if you've got The Economist app, you can just play it and it's... But it's properly narrated they really read out the full articles at yeah. a nice cadence and with all the right emphasis yeah i've also had these like daily newsletters where it's done with a robot voice and you just can't do it i don't know there's mm. something really weird about no i hear you is it the wall street speech. journal or new york times who have professional or was it new yorker who have professional yeah it's new yorker i think have professional actors read out the article mm. and I guess they're not actors. They're people who... They're voiceover uh, artists, right? Right. And they have a real kind of literary understanding for the text and how to intone it and how to articulate it effectively. It's very good. It's very listenable, but it's also very understandable. I think it just works. I think in years to come, I don't think people will be 
well, I don't think they'll be reading as much. I think they'll be listening to the same information and then looking at things where you need something visual like a diagram or a chart or something that needs the visual cues that go alongside it. So so is Spotify doing audiobooks? Mm, no, they do podcasts. So why not? Don't you think it's strange they pivot into into podcasting and they're doubling down on it? Because it's an area that they and they they kind of needed to seed the content and fund the content and grow the content, and then Apple fighting back by revamping podcasting. But really, they should just sort of in the progression that you spoke about of of three overlapping S curves, they should leap to the third one of audiobooks, shouldn't they? I think it might be too late because if you think about it, the way Amazon got there is through acquisition. They bought Audible. And then went all in on making that the platform for audiobooks. And then they own every different part. They own the physical books with Amazon. They own the digitized ebooks with Kindle that they, and, and, and then they weren't the first to enter that. They entered late. They overtook the leader for the devices, which was Sony, and they massively leapfrogged the the digitization of it because they were doing stuff like look inside this book on Amazon when you book it and they were starting to work with publishers about digitizing print media which hadn't been done properly and so they got ahead I think when they launched they had 90,000 titles and Sony had like 20,000 so they were like way ahead and then they bought Audible and now they have so many audiobooks I don't think anyone's gonna catch up so I don't think Spotify is probably thinking that's the place to compete whereas podcasting traditionally has been an open RSS based ecosystem and it's slowly getting siloed into these little buckets you know like the streaming wars and it's annoying because you're just gonna have all these oh do you listen to that podcast oh no I don't have an iPhone oh no I don't have Spotify I'll have to sign up to that to get to that podcast which I think is just nonsense you know I think the next one Spotify will do is like what's that one that you keep trying to invite me to that everyone goes on about where you listen to a rabble of people um, um and I've actually forgotten the name. <laughs> but we talked about it. Ah you know. Twitter spaces, right? <laughs> Twitter made spaces to compete. What is it? This is gonna yeah, break I think me. You mean Twitter spaces? I can't remember. Was there something that was copying or wasn't that just the original? It's actually hard to remember, isn't it? Clubhouse. Oh yeah, that's it, Clubhouse. Sorry. Can I ask you a bit about something we never talk about on this podcast which is donald trump apparently so a few things have happened this week firstly facebook have decided they're going to suspend his account for two years that's his punishment for but it was going to be indefinite but then the the oversight council told them you can't make an indefinite ban so it's two years from january the 7th which was the day after january the 6th which is the storming of the capitol yeah, so that's happening. But there's other rumours that Trump is going to start his own social media platform. What are your thoughts on that? Well, there are rumours, aren't there? But there's also rumours that have been kind of supported by one of his media strategists that he might just join one of the mainstream platforms. I mean, it's not a social media platform if it's got one main person on it then it's more like an OnlyFans. Uh, it's a blog, essentially, isn't it? I don't know It's how... not a platform, it's a blog. So he has a blog. And yeah, they blog. recently... From have... the desk of Donald Trump. I think, I think one of the late-night talk shows was making fun of the seal where he's tried to basically recreate the president's seal. Um, I mean, that's fun. But so apparently even... that's been stopped. It's, it's shut down because it had such poor traction. Um, right. Well, even the Facebook announcement today gave him it kind of replatformed him because then his press statement in response which included the reference to the rigged 2020 election uh even that you know got a lot of it got picked up and redistributed quite a lot he'll still be able to although he won't be able to participate in the midterms he could this does leave the door open i know that it's at least two years but it does leave the door open to him being back on Facebook in, t- by, in time for his 2024 presidential campaign. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. I think him being blocked off Twitter and Facebook, whilst it was refreshing for 
anyone who didn't want to just be inundated with his thought of the day each, each moment, it, it hasn't been a good idea. I don't think it's the right use of the power that those platforms have. And we're seeing it now because, I mean, when that ban gets lifted in two years' time, in time for the next presidential elections, it will just give him so much, so much to talk about. Back on Facebook, he may be back on Twitter by then. I don't know when the Twitter ban lasts until. And then suddenly that's the news story and then you just run with it as opposed to letting him just implode and deflate on on the platform. I don't know. I don't think censorship's the right way. But Yeah. So the thing that that Trump presented a problem, which was as in like a real kind of intellectual puzzle to solve, which is what do you do with an actor who's refusing to abide by norms of decency? It's not clear what you do because in the case of the social media platforms, they're not part of our normal systems of governance. So they're not part of a judicial process. So it's, it's really unclear, but they have massive reach and impact. And that was, that was a problem. We'd never encountered that before. You know, having society hold together depends to a certain amount on civil discourse. And these platforms are meant to by their own standards police civil discourse to a certain extent and then you have one outsized actor with huge reach and influence using these platforms and then visibly and demonstrably causing some kind of affray civil disturbance what do you do do you you definitely can't do nothing but then also doing something is like you're totally not set up for that because there is no impartial entity. And even the council that Facebook has set up, it's just um, it's just a very uncomfortable thing. So this was actually an appeal lodged. It was an, essentially an internal appeal because their original position had been overturned. So the original position, indefinite ban. Okay, so the council says, no, that's not legitimate. On one principles, God knows. Are we consulting something? Is there a document? Are there... Is there case law? Is there press... Not really. No, it just felt like it wasn't right. What's the right length of time? Uh, two years? Will he be able to do stuff in the midterms? No. Would he be able to do... Yeah, okay. In that case, fine. Yeah, I mean, this is the reality of, of, of a platform that basically has a bigger user base than any country on Earth, right? You've got their own weird... It's not case law, but it is definitely an evolving set of policies and constitutions that that they have to act on. The trouble here is, I think, people like Donald Trump, when he was in office, almost got extra dispensation to just go a bit further because he was a special actor that you couldn't enforce policies on early enough. And so they didn't take action for so long that when they did, it was just ridiculous. It was like, oh, now we've noticed that you've, you've, you've broken some of the policies that we've apply to everyone else that you've openly been disregarding and now we're going to block you further it's just it was a stupid thing it was a and it looked it reckless and it showed that they really didn't have a good grasp of what how they police their own platform i mean you make it sound like it ought to be easy but i, I don't think the job of a regulator is as clear-cut as that when it comes to the really big fish so take elon musk for example What's an SEC? What's an SEC supposed to do? Here you are. You've got a pretty prolific guy. Seems to have made his money off some VC stuff, some Valley stuff, some PayPal stuff. Now he's doing rockets to Mars. Now he's doing revolutionising transport. And along the way, he's kind of a Twitter loudmouth, a bit of a maverick. Says stuff like, "I'm going to take Tesla private, probably at four twenty per share." And then a year later, he tweets, when Tesla stock's doing really well, having not been taken private, he tweets, looks a bit too high to me. Tesla stock price too high. And that does affect the markets. Now, what we've since found out is that at the time, the SEC kind of gave him a slap across their hand for that, but didn't really do anything. 
and also noted that the 2018 requirement that he have a babysitter on Twitter where everything gets approved by an attorney before he posts in order to comply with the rules around statements on materiality of company performance and statements that might affect the share price in other ways that they get properly vetted before he just tweets about them and the SEC noted in 2019 a year later that actually looked like they that he hadn't implemented that also he's no, meant to no longer be chair of the Tesla board in practice de facto or de jure I don't know which of those like has been done so yeah I mean the question is do the rules apply to Elon of course not. He's getting a free pass. Like, everyone well, he, can see well, it. He's getting a free pass on crypto stuff, but it's not clear which of the regulatory bodies would be required to step in. I think the thing that's really upset you, though, is that the 1am tweet that he did today, where um, he did a sort of heartbreak icon and a Bitcoin logo, and uh, he did, like, a meme of his kind of breakup with Bitcoin. I think that's what's really upset you, and I think that's what's really upsetting you is not any of his apparent share price manipulation of tesla stock or, or or not but rather his entire involvement in crypto in bitcoin and dogecoin and i think a lot of people are legitimately upset because in the kind of gray area that we're in right now where no u.s regulator is properly looking out for the interests of the little guy or girl in the crypto space and trying to protect them many have got very badly out of pocket and financially ruined by acting in good faith and following what they thought was a credible leader looking out for their interests by following Elon and then either on Dogecoin or on Bitcoin finding themselves coming very badly unstuck because of his um he, he has kind of changing he's a bit fickle isn't it isn't he is he's kind of blowing hot and cold he, he changes his mood changes with the seasons so um yeah, there's reasons to be legitimately upset with Elon. I think you're one of the people who's upset with his crypto behavior. And I think you're looking to the SEC to do more than their job's worth, and they certainly won't. I think I really want to get your view on Etsy buying Depop. Yeah. So the average age of an Etsy customer is 39. The age of 90% of Depop customers is... Under 26. Under 26. And Etsy, I'm, I consider myself an Etsy pro user. I love Etsy. I'm also, uh, Do they have minor. a pro a pro user thing? You've, you've given you yourself that title. Me, you haven't seen me use Etsy. So a lot of our house is Etsy. So I'm also have a very small investment in Etsy. So declaring that. It's a fantastic platform. It's really undervalued. And I think what's happened is that since they're flush with cash, having entered the markets, they're looking around thinking, how can we be younger and cooler? They're doing it wrong. Etsy, stay Etsy. So I, d I did a bit of research on this. I asked 15 people I know whether they'd heard of Depop. Six of them had heard of it. Two of them had previously installed the app and only one of them had used it. And that person was Sean and he, he had bought a jacket, but then the seller immediately refunded him the money and said, oops, I've already sold it to someone else. So at which point he didn't, he didn't use it again. So haven't had a successful example of it, but Depop is weird. I've literally never heard of it. I had to work out how it all worked. Someone said it's a bit like Spock which is like secondhand selling of clothes. One person said it's like bold, fashionable and young. Another person said it's interesting and fashion forward and millennial. And then one of my friends said it's a trashy fashion and pre-loved. So um, I tried it out. I went on, have you ever gone on the Depop app? No, I have not. I'm going to send you a picture and just tell me how this makes you uh, feel because I, I felt pretty old today, just, just researching Depop. It's really aged me. What what do you see in that? That's what the first page, by the way, when you first sign up and when it tries to understand your interests. Okay, so I can tap all the styles I like. And my options are streetwear, 90s slash Y2K, vintage, which just looks normal to me, uh, sportswear, independent brands, and uh, luxury designer. And I have to choose between those. And I by process of elimination, can tell you that I can't wear these clothes. <laughs> Everything on there's younger than I am, which explains their age demographic, but it's like designers and people repurposing 
clothing or buying clothing from charity shops and then reselling it. But the whole UI kind of, it looks like Instagram. Like you, you look at a product and it's, it's that square view where you can like carousel through images below it is the description telling you all the things about it. Literally they've cloned Instagram, even down to the, the layout. But the way, the only thing that's weird about it is all the fonts are squished, like vertically squished. That makes it really hard to read for people like me. Like it's really weird that they've just squished all the fonts. <laughs> it's amazing to me that, that you, that's what you've got stuck on. It's, <laughs> you know that I have a thing about fonts, but anyway, fonts are really hard to read because it's all squished. You're right. It's all squished. It's yeah, all I'm squished, it right? Down. It's yeah. very strange. So that's kind of their thing. That's their thing. But I, I've been, the reason I want to talk to you about it, I've been like researching what this is and understanding why on earth Etsy have bought them for one point, what is it? One point six two five billion dollars. Yeah. It is to get access to an, a younger demographic, but there's also something interesting that kind of complements Etsy's Etsy's one of those like sustainability focused companies, right? That's one of that's that's a big focus for them in terms of small craft independent sellers, but everything is aimed at being more ethical. Is that right? I mean, you're telling me this. I didn't I didn't realise they were a B Corp. Oh, they might not be. But I I thought that was one of their like main values. And Depop kind of try to tap into that same thing with everything being about reused secondhand sustainable non-fast fashion like anti-fast fashion i quite like that even if i haven't managed to get an account of someone successfully using it and the app makes me feel super old you know there is an issue with with fast fashion that's just steadily destroying oceans and the atmosphere and perpetuating our reliance on fossil fuels and, and the rest of it and so much of that clothing that gets put into like closed banks or even charity shops. If it can't get sold, it just gets shipped to poorer nations to be recycled. Although most of it actually just ends up getting burned. So, so much so that like many countries have stopped accepting just loads and loads of excess clothes. You think when you put it in a closed bank that it goes somewhere that someone will wear it, but people just can't handle how much there is. So Malaysia, Philippines, China, they've all just said, nope, stop sending us the clothes. Mm. And now it gets shipped to different countries in Africa and a lot of it just gets burned, which is polluting waterways and the atmosphere and everything else. And it's, there's serious issues, which I think Gen Z, the next, basically this younger generation seem to either get or they care enough or find it trendy enough that they don't want to be associated with fast fashion. So this is quite, this is quite an interesting one that I now know about, don't feel comfortable using haven't heard anyone successfully use, but actually the concept of it's quite good. Um, so if you're going to be able to pick up bargains, but then at the same time also have fun shopping because it's like a browsing experience, but mm -hmm. then also be able to get a distinctive look, which I think this is what this is, in a way that you, you can't or it's much harder if you walk into a fast fashion store. It's much harder to assemble a distinctive look. It's much more work. And this all this stuff has character. So yeah, I can see why it's appealing. I like it. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. That's Depop. I think now it's time for not a sponsor. <laughs> the thing is, we've done so much in this segment that we, like, we've got so much of this. What do you mean we've got so much of this? Well, like, I want to talk about, on the YouTube mobile app, how they're making it harder for me to watch the videos at the resolution I want to. And it's part of that ongoing conspiracy through all of BBC iPlayer <laughs> and all of everything everyone's lowering my resolution like everyone is lowering my resolution they're making it like, really hard how far they? are we into this that we what is it going to take you that long to upgrade the entire network infrastructure can't you just lease some dark web from Akamai <laughs> some dark fiber it's it, it you know boot up the cdns put them at the, <laughs> the edge of the network i why should i be watching my youtube on automatically lower resolution can't i just see it at the thing i want to which is as rich in pixels as my phone will let me it's weird isn't it it's weird like ipads phones everything's gone to 4k screens which is ridiculous when you actually think about what they're doing because like 4k tv i call like it you, retina display uh whatever you're like 4K TV might be like 50 inches, 60 inches, and they're reducing all of that down to this tiny little phone with the same amount of pixels. It's mad. Like your eyes probably can't notice. But then um, that's you have all of that. Retina display. <sighs> You're so sold on Apple branding. Anyway, 
you you get to that point and then yeah youtube has now made it just extra clicks to get to well i couldn't even find it so this is the experience right so you're trying to watch a video and in youtube now as of i think this just this week gone by is when i noticed it uh you're watching it and then you're like this is a bit grainy so you go into the top right of the thing yeah the three dots and you tap on the three dots and it says quality and then the default option moment is auto which also has the brackets recommended after it auto makes you think oh they're going to take care of it for me no they're helping themselves and if you go to advanced so and you go to higher picture quality because you think that's what's going to do it that actually hasn't done it you actually have to go back in and you're going to want to tap on quality skip move off auto skip past higher picture quality go down to the bottom go to advanced apparently this is advanced select a specific resolution now you can choose your 2000 and so pixels or a hand or 1080 pixels and watch it as it was intended to and as it fits your screen off it's really weird isn't it because they've, they've made it seem like they're helping you save your data so it's like underneath it it'll say underneath high picture quality in the, the main menu it'll say uses more data and then you've got data saver, lower picture quality. But I'm on Wi-Fi. Like, just don't, don't, don't care about all this data saving. So it's, it's clear that they're trying to. So in the U.S. market with cell, cellular plans, saving, staying under your data quotient is is very real. Living entirely in a home in the or in the neighbourhood of Wi-Fi's, as we now appear to do most of our lives is a strange time to be rolling this out, which obviously gives a lie to what they've written. The reason they're rolling it out is because now the network is under a lot of pressure that everyone needs to do everything they can to reduce resolutions and bandwidth. And what's bandwidth the bottleneck there? Because we're rolling out to like, everything's rolling to 5G. A lot of devices are now going to 5G. 5G we coverage now... is tiny pockets. But even, even like 4G is phenomenally fast so it's not the cellular network that's struggling with this it's no it, it's well so like the, you said why did the... iplayer downgrade all its resolution so that it now looks grainy and hasn't gone back up it's because the process of everybody locking down taking shelter working from home doing more video calls doing more streaming has resulted in the entire ground adsl and fiber network being under more load and people have kind of uh, i think netflix and bbc and now youtube have taken it upon themselves to kind of unilaterally intervene on their side to try and lower resolutions of the content that's being streamed to ease up on the collective infrastructure is that what's happening when you get the the yellow and red bars against your name on zoom is are you are you protecting the network and just lowering your internet quality in the shed you, you know what that means it means that you've got bad internet <laughs> yeah i i remember now that's what it means yeah that's um, why it's next to your name <laughs> anyway i think it's time we should do a quick not a sponsor and you'll love this week's what is this week's not a sponsor it's le Choux, london which You'll know as clouds. I love Lashu. <laughs> Can you spell it for me? Yeah, so Lashu L E C H O U X. So if you go to lashulondon.com, and then sorry, this is UK centric and very much London centric at the moment, although they are trying to expand their Please operations. tell me you've got an offer code. I love the stuff. I wish. They provide amazing, like Parisian shoe pastries filled with just. just miraculous creams and they make cookies and they make patisseries and they do special things for events we've tried them out for their shoes which are i guess you could think of them like a tiny little profiterole that's baked and has that dark sugar kind of topping that's slightly like caramelized and then they fill it absolutely full of this cream and they have different flavors so they have salted caramel fudge madagascan vanilla lemon meringue passion fruit milk chocolate pistachios and white chocolate and my favorite which is i'm going to say it wrong the jian duja shoe which is like hazelnut and praline and chocolate and it's just literally to die for anyway highly recommended i know we bought you over some and they got demolished so would you recommend them 
I would I would recommend them. In Japanese, it's shoe cream, but it's like a smaller one. It's、ah. like a very small. The, the cream inside is very dense. They do it well. They do a good job. I've not actually been to the shop. The shop is in Ladbroke Grove, and it smells just to die for. So, so do, do you?、Um, that you can do pickups, collections. Do they do delivery? They do delivery, but only within. Are they on delivery? Central London at the moment. They,、so、you, is it their own service? They're also on delivery, so they do their own service. So you can order in advance and hand、oh、pick up,、God. or you, you can deliver from where I am. No, I'm too far away. But with delivery, you might be able to. But yeah, they are trying to expand their delivery of operations at the moment because of pandemic and everything else. I think they're trying to expand that side of the business. But highly recommended. I don't have an offer code. I scouted very far. If They give us one. I'll let everyone know. But no one's listening, Jonathan. That's probably true. Well, excellent. Thank you. What a good not a sponsor. Thank you very much. So, I think it's now time for this week in crypto. This week in crypto. It hasn't really been a week. <laughs> no, but we didn't really、week. talk about last time. We didn't talk about the way the markets have moved.、And、what I would say is that broadly speaking, Bitcoin went down in value from around sixty k. To around forty k, and then it kind of hung around. It dipped last week down to about thirty five, then it came back up to forty. Now it's at thirty seven. Meanwhile, in the last two days, the alt market has seen a surprising recovery, and we're now up on where we were last week. In the case of Ethereum, by about fifteen percent. In the case of things like Solana and Filecoin, by about. Thirty or forty percent, so sort of strange recovery, but not quite back to anywhere approaching the the highs of three or four weeks ago, prior to what we what we're now referring to as Elon Gate, even though it definitely wasn't his fault. No, no, this was a pretty expected market correction, although it was a lot more vicious than anyone really right. And by your terms, it's not really the correction you were expecting because it's it's gone on longer and more bearish, longer and bearier than you could have imagined. So when you look at the trifecta of DeFi hotshots, the promising DeFi players, the Arves, the YFI, Yearn Finances, and the Matics from Polygon. Those three haven't seen the kind of recovery over the past week that you've seen in other DeFi tokens. Like where Solana was going up thirty three percent, they were seeing a five or ten percent gain. In one case, a loss. In the case of Matic's current position on where it was a week ago, it's down six percent. Lovely. I I think it's hard to say that Matic hasn't seen those same recoveries, given that it's still up. Three hundred and fifty percent in the last thirty-nine days. <laughs> I think that's what is is difficult when you look at this whole market. Everyone wants perpetual upside. Literally, for a lot of these things, they're still up three x over the last month. I think people need to chill out and just not get greedy because that's what caused this massive sell-off. Just greed, over leverage, lots of gambling, loads of people diving in with money they didn't have. A lot of these things, if they succeed, are the future standards of the internet. They solve a lot of the problems we were talking about with YouTube and bandwidth and all the other issues. If we can get away from kind of the bottlenecks in our current systems, so if you think that these things are going to solve that and solve it for various parts of the financial or internet infrastructure, I don't think it's really something to worry about this weird month. Thank you, Jonathan. Sensible words. Has Norton added Ethereum mining support? You know what? This is one of those weird ones where Jen sent me the article from the BBC News, and I went, "No, they've got to have made a mistake." But upon checking,、uh, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> so, so sorry. This is Norton, who I know from Norton Antivirus. Correct. So they have a product called Norton Three Sixty Antivirus Software. They're going to add. Ethereum mining for select customers, and I guess what it does is it kind of allows that idle time to be used to join a pool of Ethereum miners and essentially generate some passive income mining Ethereum. It's not clear how much of a, a fee Norton will take. There's obviously some incentive for them. 
Wait, how's it supposed to work? So I've got my um, desktop computer with a tower next to the desk. And I'm running Norton Antivirus, but I'm part of some kind of special beta. And I turn on a switch and Norton takes care of assigning me to a pool and allocating my hard drive space and my compute power to doing the Ethereum 2 staking. And no, the, the Ethereum 1 Ethereum, staking. Ethereum and 1 mining. Yeah. Mining. And therefore I am able to get mining rewards, which then accrue back to... A wallet that Norton is managing, and then I get to see that payout in dollars. These are all great questions. They they've not. They, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being like evasive. They actually haven't given much information. I did look into it. It's um, where super, super <laughs> I've got some questions for you. I've got a bigger, bigger, harder question as usual. Where's Bitcoin heading? I think long long term, it's heading. You heard it here first, folks. Um, I think so. It's going towards the, towards the, to the up direction. To the up direction. No, you got to think of it from a kind of macro perspective, right? If the narrative that has been played out for the last, for this entire bull cycle, so I guess from October, November last year, in fact, from before then up until now, that narrative has been around a store of value, a hedge against inflation, and something that people are willing to allocate money towards, not just to hedge against inflation of the US dollar, but also to potentially hedge against other assets that might be more volatile if we have more uncertainty in future, i.e. the pandemic, money printing, inflation, destabilization of various different industries. I think that narrative has been played out and has kind of been bought into by a lot of major institutions now. They're all putting up services, allowing their wealthy investors to join. I don't think they'd have invested into all of that for, you know, tumbleweed. I think they've done it knowing there's demand that slowly will start to drip feed in as, as things move. I think the recent payroll miss, whilst you've still got job growth numbers, I think there's other weaknesses in the economy that people just want to hedge against. If that narrative remains the same and people see Bitcoin as a new asset class that can hedge against it, why would you not think it would go up from this point? It would be counterintuitive if it suddenly starts to drop down lower than it was three years ago when we didn't have all of this crazy uncertainty and that would really be worrying for bitcoin but also where would people allocate their finance would it be to commodities would it be to the extremely overvalued s p and equities market would it be to keep it in us dollars or fiat currencies that are being just massively massively inflated i don't know i feel like the story is still pretty strong mm. I think that's not an unreasonable analysis. Remarkably short this week in crypto, this week in crypto, uh, Jonathan Tipper, is it time for shitcoin or fake coin? Mm, I'll take shitcoin. Would you like to go first? <laughs> okay. So my two this week are very complicated. I'm going to struggle. But here it goes. So first one is called DeFi Shop. The code name is Vouch, V-O-U-C-H. And, oh God, I've read through this and I was like, how am I going to explain it? Um, are you familiar with how, like, will you, will we, how gift vouchers work with stores? And why I am familiar them? with, yes. So this used to be called VoucherCoin. I think they've rebranded to like DeFi shop for some reason, but it basically aims to provide this like crowdfunded, decentralized pre-sale capital for e-commerce companies who use the vouch pool. So it uses uh, a combination of balancer for liquidity pools and SushiSwap for basically the platform managing all the lending and borrowing, but users deposit crypto into the pool on SushiSwap and then receive these vouch tokens. Those tokens can be uh, essentially redeemed like vouchers at participating e-commerce stores, or they can like, you know, deposit them back into the pool and get, you know, their original collateral back. Um, participating shops and merchants then can also take out loans from that DeFi shop pool to fund operations, but are very, very low interest rates, similar to how gift vouchers work essentially but instead of it being issued for a select store it's pulled and held as uh, against these vouch tokens and 
the incentive for people using them is a bit like gift vouchers you get special discounts when you're using them so if you've got these vouch tokens you can use them to get special discounts at participating merchants the real reason why stores like uh, discount vouch well the, the real reason why stores like store credit is that between 40 to 50 percent of most gift vouchers are unused in terms of their value before they expire uh, or are lost and that's why it's it's kind of free money this looks like um, a totally fungible form of gift voucher, mm -hmm. which you could use at multiple stores, mm -hmm. and which doesn't expire. Thereby, uh, and yes, you can kind of borrow against it, but it doesn't look as, as appealing. But um, I can see what's going on there, albeit only partially. Please go on to your next coin. Cool. So the next one is called Split. That's spelled... S-P-L-Y-T. Short code is Shop X. And it is uh, it's kind of like a layer two NFT infrastructure for e-commerce. So it's, it decentralizes the e-commerce supply chain. And it means that your products are tokenized on the blockchain so you can essentially have these digital sales but then have real product tracking that was previously not possible so it's like a an e-commerce nft basically to power that e-commerce ecosystem um and it means that when you create this new e nft and it's tied to a real product you get proof of authenticity and then you get the metadata and history. So when you're like um, minting one of these things, you all of that's contained within that NFT and that NFT represents that item. It means that you have a, a digital representation of the item. And then uh, you can also have like DeFi pools for bringing together all your inventory. So you can have like a, like a decentralized warehouse essentially of all these pooled eNFTs that represent real physical items in your inventory. Um, yeah, and what else can it do? Oh yeah, and if you if you want to if you're the buyer and you want to sell it, you can just relist it on whatever platform, and the NFT, the eNFT, can be updated, and it will keep its purchase history and, and kind of make sure that people know that they're getting something legit. Yeah. Well, that made no sense. Did I mention it's powered by Polkadot? So it's on the Polkadot network. You didn't mention that. And um, and that also, that also it's integrated with Shopify. Shopify, like Shopify, the e-commerce platform. And tell me what it's, it's called ShopX, but what's the code for it? Split. S-P-L-Y-T. Uh, like I said, it's a layer two NFT infrastructure for e-commerce. Yeah, so, so. No, you, you said that, but again, that made no sense. So you're, you're saying that the, the code is ShopX, um, but the name of the product is split? Uh, yes. Or are you saying that the code is split and the name of the product is ShopX? No, the, the code is ShopX. The name is, is, is split. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just like with the other one, the code was Vouch and the name was DeFi Shop. That doesn't make it any better. So with Split, um, the, the deal with this product is it's a kind of decentralized way of managing a shop's inventory. And every time you buy something from a store that runs on the system, you get to own the NFT of the thing that is like a digital twin of the product that you've just bought. Um, and the digital twin contains some metadata relating to your transaction, um, but it's also passed on to whoever then buys the actual underlying item somehow mysteriously and through a complex series of real life wallets and online wallets, you end up simultaneously transacting that digital twin across the person who's the new owner of the product. Meanwhile, the inventory system hard enough to manage in the real world is now a decentralized inventory system running on Polkadot where a real-world shop, this real-world live inventory of what items do I have and how many of them, is somehow NFT'd up so that you could look at it 
in a decentralized way if you had the right access position permissions because it's all on Polkadot. Which part exactly. of that? Which part of that makes any sense? Like all of it. That sounded like why don't we have this now? I think is what most people are thinking. Yeah. Who's adopted it? Shopify. No. Um, where in the world is it? It's it's on Polkadot. I don't. Where's the management team based? Uh, I don't know. Is it live? Uh, it's live on Shopify as of I think this quarter. But it's have they got know. any case studies? Uh, not uh, apart. It's Shopify is their first one. How how is it supposed to work? Like, why do I want a digital NFT twin of the object I just bought? Because I've got the object, mm. right? I think it's more. I mean, about I can the... just look at the object and I can go, "Oh yes, I." Own no, this. but I think it's more about like the, the the supply chain side, right? So it's it's making that I'm just upset. You completely really upset me. Decentralized. Let's go back to DeFi shop vouch, okay? Because <laughs> the way I am the way I am with this right now is that I'm beginning to think that split is actually real i've got a horrible feeling about it it's it's so wrong on so many levels that it's beginning to look like it's the right one whereas DeFi shop was kind of nebulous in and plausible enough that you made it up so it was it was um unobjectionable mm. and it wasn't it wasn't obnoxious I and mean, that was it was trying to be innocuous so that's what uh, immediately my spidey sense is tingling there Okay, who's part of the Vouch network? Um, com- companies that you probably haven't heard of. So they they've worked with Overstock, Overclockers, Novatech, Atlas Gaming. If you know any of them, and it's running in UK, Morocco, and Greece. Yeah, I've heard of overclockers. I think they sell keyboards and like peripherals and stuff. But they they're accepting vouch with a fifteen percent discount when you use vouch on on their one. Oh god, this is awful! Oh, this is awful because it's just it's just become <laughs> more plausible. So either you've and the Morocco and Greece plus UK. I mean, that's just implausibly. Yeah, this is a really hard one to read. Okay, now I'm leaning the other way. Okay, so. Okay, give me a moment. <laughs> I can sense the tension. Yeah, okay, I've got it. So, um, Vouch is the shitcoin and ShopX is the fake coin. It's not. So, <laughs> Vouch is a fake coin that I invented and Split ShopX is is a shitcoin. It's, it's real. It's launched on Polkadot. It actually does have an integration with Shopify. And whilst all that stuff sounds ridiculous, that is actually what it does. It does this whole ENFT e-commerce supply chain thing. And like, it sounds nuts, but actually when you really play out the story, I guess there's a stage in the future where that's... I feel sick. Let's move on. It's my turn. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Okay, so the first one is called Kaiken Inu, and its code is it's K-A-I-K-E-N. It's called okay. Kaiken. And um, inu means dog in that's Japanese. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. good. And good. you know the Kaiken is a type of dog. Okay. <sighs> yes. okay, so the deflationary mechanisms include a burn and redistribution system. Uh, 1% of each transaction is burned, and 1% is distributed as rewards to the holders. Um, in With Kaiken Inu, you could easily expect a... Just counting the zeros. Uh, One million percent return. 
And don't worry, 100% of LP tokens uh, have been sent to Vitalik's wallet, and 56 percent, 56% of all tokens have been burnt, yeah, including the whole dev wallet. So, in other words, it is, all caps, unruggable. Wait, why is it unruggable if 100 Because Vitalik could rugball, no? Unruggable. Unruggable. Okay. Okay, I think I've heard enough of that one. Do you want to just change some of the numbers around and tell me the second one? <laughs> <laughs> Unruggable. Let's move on. The next one in shitcoin or fake coin is called No Fake Coin. Ooh. And its code is NFC. <laughs> You can't mute yourself to just have a good old laugh. You can't just laugh on mute. It's it's just... Okay, right, I'm back. So, with a no fake coin, what is good is that you get no fakes today. And it's the most effective technology to fight counterfeiting of your products. And it's, it's one of those ones... It's a bit like what you have, actually, with the really credible split ShopX thing. It's similar to that in the sense that it's like a sort of supply chain, you know, your classic, uh, you can track it with a blockchain type thing, and it's called No Fake Coin. Um, loving it. Multiple applications, you're, you're, NFC. You're, you're trying to undersell No Fake Coin. Tell me more. Literally, Who's the, using clue, it? the clue's in the name. No Fake Coin. Yeah, yeah, didn't I? No fake coin. But but are they talking about fake coins the way we refer to them as, as no, imaginary things? No, 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 no. It's like it's not. So it's very good for end-to-end tracking in the supply chain, supply chain classic problem, multiple entities, different levels of visibility of different parts of it, consignee, shipment, broker, shipper, a middleman, and the all the way through that process. And it could be pharmaceuticals, it could be cold chain storage, it could be any type of manufacturing processes, it could be even yeah, be yeah. You're just describing supply chain. How does it work? It works the way that blockchain works. Okay. It, it takes data and it stores it in a distributed way. And in this case, it uses no fake coin, NFC, to track the items through the supply chain. So... It's a ledger, and what you just what information do you store on it? Mm, I mean, I haven't. I mean, what's the consensus protocol? Who's using it? I'm glad you asked. People with logos who have Chinese characters in their name. (laughs) Conveniently, okay. Um, So they're not using V Chain. They're not. They're not going with any other industry standards it's just the chain is misleadingly it's a it's more misleading than this v chain v traction is um largely based around one tentpole customer whose volume of transactions that's walmart on v chain i i think i think people have reason to dispute how much of it is genuinely being used Oh, but that's okay. a, that's a that's different topic. Separate, but that's a different topic. I mean, tell me, tell me volume figures for NFC for no. Yeah, fake so no coin. fake coin is a, the most effective technology to fight counterfeiting of your products. I mean, it's just you're literally telling me nothing. Just go around the circles. Um, any customers that aren't based in China, or is it only based in no, China? Not that I, not that I know of. Okay, so entirely based in China, they've gone with entirely English name with no fake coin. Well, also NFC is a very good acronym, I think. Yes, near-field communication. Easily to be confused. Um, let's go back to the, the dog. Um, Kai, Kaizen? What's a Kaizen? Okay. It looks a bit like a shiba, but with a straighter tail and more like um, sterner features. Okay. And and something about unruggable because of Vit- Vitalik. And... 56% of all the tokens have been burnt, including the whole dev wallet. Unruggable. But they gave the rest... Wait, but then what's in circulation? 100% of LP tokens were sent to Vitalik's wallet. What are LP tokens? Those are the, like the original tokens. Limited partner. Right. So the ones in circulation? Yeah. 44% of the tokens that weren't burnt. I never understand with this unruggable thing. Why don't they just not 
have them in the first place? Why don't they just burn them? Why do they always send them somewhere? When you look on Etherscan, you can see those tokens and you're like, this is a great social project. It's going to have 1 million percent return. I just don't get it. I feel like that it's like it's like putting a grenade under your seat, but then but then like sellotaping the the pin around it. Don't worry, don't worry. Un un unruggable. The the tape around the grenade. So like, don't put the grenade there. It just feels weird that they always do this weird. It's a vivid analogy, thing. but let me ask you a question. Are you ready to take the dog for a walk? Oh my god! Both of these are ridiculous. I'm I'm thinking you're 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 just just trying so hard to make nfc um fake can can you tell me anything about near not near what is it no fake coin that will make me think it's real just anything if you don't try i know that um yeah it's not it's a it's um it's on it's on i don't know what chain it's on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is this is the absence of a right okay against all better intuition you're trying too hard to make this a fake coin i think no fake coin is a shit coin and the kai ken inu is is a fake coin correct <gasps> yes again two weeks well one week but two episodes two episodes that's amazing. I'm st- I'm still confused as to how no fake coin works, but nonetheless, that's really Don't cool. Worry. Many people. Um, are. Yeah, but that's good. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad you liked DeFi Shop enough to think it was real. Um, that's not why I chose it. <laughs> Jonathan, it? thank you. Great pod. See you next week. See you next week, Doug. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. Talking to you, and so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. It's the Small Time Bets podcast. Doug is drinking a Blue Dog IPA. Jonathan's got a Negroni. Right, they're in the corporate world that night. They rock the party. Party.